Nervous Rex, a Neon Genesis Evangelion podcast that this week is covering an anime called Gunbuster, and it's 33% rewatch and 66% first time watch and uh, 1% history lesson, I think. Uh, my name is Joe. I use any and all pronouns. I am joined, as always, by Chris. Yeah, who uses he, him pronouns, and I am joined by Jory. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm, I'm just here for Chris, not for Joe. Um, <laughs> Jory gets enough of me. <laughs> uh, he, they pronouns. And, and birthday person. Oh, yeah, that's true. My, you know whose else birthday it is today? Andre the Giant. Wow. I, I always have to point that out because my last name people think is Andre, but it's not pronounced that. But I stopped correcting people because it's not worth the trouble. But it's <laughs> neat that we share the same birthday anyway. You just add the giant to your last name that everyone's mispronouncing. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Jory Andre the Giant. Exactly. Some people might know that Jory is my co-host on We Are Watching One Piece, my other dragging someone along through an anime podcast. Um, one that is is more of an endurance test than a uh, the sprint test that making someone watch End of Evangelion is. I, I have something to say, and this will be the only time I legitimately compare One Piece to Gunbuster. Uh, <laughs> in like 400 episodes of One Piece, I haven't been filled with nearly as much existential dread about time and life than I was watching this. Yes, this this show really gets into it, and we when we also will get into it as we discuss it. But I think before initial thoughts, because I think when we do that, we will probably just start bouncing around to discussing the, the show at full. Um, so I uh, <laughs> here comes the context, everybody, because uh, right. I, I, I'm very fascinated in Anno's career. And this show is kind of becoming in a way about Anno's career, but in the focusing on the accessible parts that are connected to Evangelion. Uh, did either of you watch the Daikon animations? That I sent the links for. I watched both of them. Yeah, I watched okay. both of them too, and I was going to ask something about that. Ask away if the, what I'm about to say doesn't answer that question. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure um, it, it will, because it's a really dumb, okay. simple question. Okay, great. Anno started uh, animating before anything else um, when he was in college. He animated with two other people, uh, Hiroyuki Yamaga and Takama Akai. I might be putting the wrong emphasis on the wrong syllables in those names. But those three animators were hired to animate uh, some opening segments for a convention called DICON. Two people organized DICON 3, but my understanding of the situation is they, st- they just decided to organize DICON 3. I don't know what happened for the first two, um, and I didn't look it up, but uh, those it two people like are... yard show lore. Go ahead. <laughs> so, and, and this is 1981, Toshio Okada and uh, Yasuhiro Takeda. Uh, organized Daikon 3, and they hire these three people to animate it. 
and they ran into several problems animating the Daikon 3 animation because they did not know how to plan and had no money, <laughs> but somehow it worked out, and this is a trend that continues for the rest of these people's lives. Uh, so they, everyone loves Daikon 3. It's very cool. How did, how did y'all feel about watching? It's like a five-minute short of a small girl protecting a glass of water from pop culture villains, roughly? Is that a good, good explanation? <laughs> It looks really neat and good for an amateur, like amateurly made animation. Yeah, it's got. I think I think that's exactly it. Is that it shows so much promise from these like very young college animators. They go on to they're like, all right, we're definitely gonna do Gaikon Four, but that's gonna be in eighty uh, three. So in that time in between, these three animators uh, get hired. I, I I don't know if it's like an intern situation exactly or what, but they work on a uh, Super Dimension Fortress Macross. That animation studio is separated by, like, basically the genre of the show. So Ano is specifically working on mechs uh, during that time. Uh, and then eventually Daikon 4 comes out, and it's perfect. <laughs> uh, it's, I, they, they are obviously so much better at the craft. They have uh, more resources, so they make it. It's like, I think the actual runtime of it's like another five minutes, and then there's another thing uh, added on at the end of storyboards. But yeah, uh, Daikon 4 is great. It's still kind of an iconic piece of uh, early Japanese animation, or at least in like this era of like 80s animation. And so these three people, and alongside with uh, Okada and Takeda, who are running a merch company called General Products, uh, they make Daikon Film as, an, as, a, as a small like fan studio. This is where Ano does his 28-minute Ultraman short, Ultraman Returns, in which he plays Ultraman. Also in 83 is when he gets hired to animate the monster in uh, Nausicaa in the Valley of the Wind, uh, which comes out in 84. Ano is 23 at this point. He gets expelled from college uh, because he didn't go to classes or pay his tuition. And uh, by the end of 84 is when Daikon Films becomes Studio Gainax. And Gainax goes on to make some movies, but they don't really do very well. And... How they get out of that hole is Bandai giving them a deal where it's like, hey, if you make something that sells a lot of, a lot of units, we will like completely fund it and we'll have a partnership deal. Um, so they took what they were working on, threw it in the garbage, and started making Aim for the Top Gunbuster, uh, which eventually ended up in Ano's hands. It was supposed to be originally directed by uh, Shinji Higuchi, who went on to do Attack on Titans uh, adaptation and uh, co-direct. Shin Godzilla with Anna, which we'll talk about eventually. Um, Anna wasn't going to do it, but he read the script and said, oh, I'll do it. And then he changed everything about the script uh, because it was originally going to be a parody, um, which you can kind of see parts of in the first episode. It's uh, a mix of Aim for the Ace, a 70s tennis anime, and Top Gun, uh, which is Aim, Aim for the Top being the full title. Uh, and it was just supposed to be like a dumb, cute girl robot show. And Anna changed some things to give it more depth. Uh, Anno... He did what he always does and added depression. Exactly. <laughs> uh, on, uh, yeah, Anno starts processing his own uh, things through the anime, which is uh, uh, his whole career. Uh, so Anno doesn't plan the whole thing out at one time. He worked kind of episode by episode. So you can kind of feel it shift more and more towards that uh, existential dread, and it becomes more and more his vision. Uh, up, uh, including making the entire last episode in black and white, which made the show cost way too much fucking money. Oh, I was gonna, I was gonna make a mean joke about that. 
Oh, <laughs> what, what is your mean joke? I was just saying, did, did they run out of budget on this one, too? <laughs> they they kind of did, and that's why there's there's a fight. There's like a space fight in the last episode that's just a couple like images and panning across them. It's it, it's very minimal, and it kind of just like is a weird montage that ends with like the number of casualties. I think that's a side yeah. effect of of budgeting and poor planning. But the black and white was very intentional and more expensive than doing it without mm. black and white. Because uh, things were harder to make black and white in the 80s. The reverse clerks. Um, but yeah, so that's that's kind of the setup to Anno getting handed his directorial debut. How do, how do y'all feel about the anime, Gunbuster? You go first, Jory. I... <laughs> I feel like I, I either either people will agree with me or get mad, but overall, I think I like it more than Evangelion because honestly, the thing that drags for me about Evangelion is the pacing. It works for it, but it's still frustrating and kind of boring sometimes, especially when you get to the point with like the lava diving episode. That's when you just like you just want more things to happen, and this mm-hmm. everything they show. They just show what they need to. There isn't, like, for the most part, there isn't extra shit that, like, gets in the way that distracts or, like, drags on, feels everything feels concise and, like, intentional. It's very economical with a, I mean, it's less than three hours total. Yeah. <laughs> I like it a lot. This is, I, this is my third time watching it. I saw it once when I was a teenager when I was like, oh, Anno did another show. I'll check that out. And I rewatched it. Uh, earlier this year, so I could watch Die Buster for the first time, uh, which I'm also excited to rewatch. Uh, but yeah, I think this time everything sunk a little bit harder for me. I kind of grappled with uh, what the last few episodes are doing. I, I start to see like the the origins of Anno shooting stuff that looks fucked up for some reason, and I, I really like the evolution of it from like uh, again, like it's kind of. Uh, the bones of Evangelion on a much smaller scale because it yeah. goes from like cute, silly parody stuff and like really escalates really quickly. And and I, I think all of it lands. I think I think uh, uh, before I was really rough on episode three, and now I think episode three is like oh where it all starts to to happen. Chris, how do you feel with your first time watching the anime? Aim for the top, Gunbuster. I could not get into this to save my life. Oh really? I can say this because there's like 27 episodes of me lauding praise on this dude. This honestly felt like watching these six episodes for this felt like a homework assignment where I was starting to mm. consider the spark notes. Like when you start cracking up at a book for school and you're just like, Ish, I don't know if I want to go through the rest of this. Is there a summary I can read somewhere? I like, I think if I were watching this not for a podcast, I would have given it I would have watched the one episode, but like, that wasn't really, I don't really, I'm not feeling it, but maybe we'll do another one. I would have watched two, and then I think I would have been out. I don't think I would have finished it. Which, to be fair, I would have missed out on some of the stuff that I did like better in the, uh, mm-hmm. in the later episodes. Because there's, there's, there are elements of this that I, that I think were good and that I liked. But overall, I found it really tough to get through. I was pretty bored. That's surprising, but understandable. I do think there is something, I, I, just, to, just to compare to Evangelion, it's, it's a very less radical text. It, it's very traditional in terms of like Anno doing things in the style of his influences. It's very uh, Tomino's very uh, Matsumoto who did Harlock. It, it's very in line with his influences, and I do think yeah, it it its tone changes drastically over the 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 like over the the first half for sure. So I think like yeah, the first two episodes are definitely 
the weakest of what I like from Anno. What 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 were some of the things that you did find yourself appreciating as you got in, like into the back half? Are we gonna recap at all? Does it matter if I just say stuff that happened and like kind of like um yeah, I guess we can go through the plot real quick. Uh, it's essentially. I mean, so the, the, the main character of the anime is uh, Noriko, who is going to robot school, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and she's very fucking bad at it, and her dad was a pilot, so she wants to do it. She looks up to this uh, other girl, Amano. I don't remember her first name, and her last name changes eventually, but I keep calling her Amano. And they have rival Val Kilmer, and... She gets really good at uh, the robot when she meets this coach who shows up to pick people for a very special space program. And they pick Amano and Noriko. And she's like, why did you pick me? I suck shit at this. And he's like, I, I see potential in you. You can do it. Also, I was on the ship that your dad died on. And I lived. So she trains for a long time. She beats Val Kilmer in a fight. I don't know if she is supposed to look like Val Kilmer, but I really think she does. <laughs> and considering it's a Top Gun parody, I kind of feel like it's intentional. Uh, but anyway, so they go to space. And episode two, we see uh, the coach, uh, Commander Ota, being saved by her dad in... Uh, what's the name of that ship? Uh, Start with an L. Can I cut in very quickly while you're trying to think of that and make a comment about the coach? Yeah. He looked like this picture of Chris Angel that I'm sending in the studio <laughs> text. <laughs> I, and see, I thought you I were gonna think of the entire he, time. Well, he also wears <laughs> aviators the whole time, which I think only adds to it. Now that you bring it up, yeah. Look at this hat. Like, yeah, no, that's the right hat. It's just him. I was thinking he just looked like if you showed me a screenshot from him and said, "This is a Gundam character," I'd be like, "That's a Gundam yes. character." It's very yeah. It's very Tomino. <laughs> so yeah, he has a scar on one of his eyes that he got in the shipwreck. That's why he wears the glasses. But yeah, so it starts with him being, like, a flashback to him being saved. They go up to space. We meet a third girl whose name is Young Freud. I fucking love Young I Freud. I died. I died in that. <laughs> it's event. so it's like, funny. Ah, uh, yes, your new friend, psychologist, psychologist. It's That's the thing. I feel like that's also a remnant from the original script, where it's just like, yeah, the one, the one from the Soviet Union is a parody of what Soviets are. <laughs> So yeah, she shows up, she picks a fight with these with these uh Japanese girls. That's basically that's like the first half of this episode. The second half is Coach Ota picks Amano and Noriko to check on something that they've uh picked up. I think it's on their radar that's like in light speed, but they he wants uh these two girls to experience light speed because they're gonna pilot Gunbuster in like episode four. Um so they do that, but the thing that's traveling through light speed is Noriko's dad's ship and this is where they start to introduce like the time mechanics of uh, light speed travel so like yeah time dilation yeah so like they're going through it obviously it's been several years uh i don't i think like nine years since her dad died if i'm doing the math correctly um but when they catch up with that ship it's only been like two days so she like dives into it and tries to save him, and she's, like, freaking out, and Coach goes in there to drag her out of it, um, and they're, like, 12 seconds over what they were supposed to take, so, like, more time passes uh, back on the space station. Um, I actually really love the scene at the end of episode two where they're getting home, because, like, young Freud's like, hey, uh, our, our birthday, they have the same birthday, Noriko and uh, young Freud, 
and you have to say her full name. <laughs> you can't say just Young or Freud. Um, and she's like, hey, our, our party's up. Like, I, mean, I know, yeah, I, I heard the mission was rough on you, but I think it'll, you know, we'll be okay. And she runs off crying, and Amano's like, hey, I know it's been six months for you, but it's been an hour for us. And, like, I feel like that perfectly establishes, like, the thing that Anno uses to make all of these characters extremely depressed for this whole show. <laughs> and episode three is when he really gets into it. The opening of episode three is Amano and the coach singing karaoke over just scrolling text of a formula. I still don't know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> I was confused. I thought it was like a bad upload at first. <laughs> yeah, it's it's yeah, it's it's strange. I, I don't know exactly what it's going for with that, but I I I feel like, oh yeah, this is where Anno starts to just fucking go for whatever it is he's going for. I think if I were able like I, I remember looking up a translation of the formula and I couldn't really find it i think it's just about like time dilation in space and like that stuff i don't know episode three is where noriko meets a boy what's his, his name is smith smith, smith torin which like when i said to you when we were talking about it two days ago just a little bit it's what i imagine a japanese person in the late 80s thinks an american like an average american name is torin mm -hmm. smith <laughs> yeah yeah because I, I i remember thinking like i wonder if he goes by Smith because of like the reversed name uh, syntax. Because that's I don't I don't I don't can't say I've seen Smith as a first name very often. But he's voiced by Kazuki Yao, who apparently has just been in the game forever. Shout out to <laughs> Kazuki Yao, uh, who's uh, does like three One Piece characters. I th I don't I don't know if it's just a matter of like the age, like ten year difference or whatever, or more than ten year difference from what I'm used to hearing him as a uh, in, in One Piece. But it just feels like he's really holding back. Because I feel like he goes for it with all of his One Piece characters. I feel like it's it's just like, this is him talking normally. Like, not doing a That's voice. That's true. And then him doing Bon Clay or Frankie or something is him, like, getting into actor mode. Well, yeah, all of his all of his One Piece characters are extremely over the top. Aim for the top, over the top, starring Kazuki Yao. Uh, so they, they get in trouble for, like, sneaking out during time warp lockdown uh they do some chores together and this is when the fleet runs into like some space aliens that are like near a star they're trying to travel to it's it's not really a, addressed in the forefront of the text that they're looking for a place to go because the earth is dying it's i feel like it's really apparent on a rewatch that that's why they're going to the star but it's called leaf 64 which also sounds like a great video game they get to it and it's like fucked up because these space aliens are using stars as breeding grounds. At some point in this episode, Amano is like, hey, I don't want to work with Noriko. She's not great. She's embarrassing. And so they split up. Noriko ends up joining a team with Smith because he's alone and he's the only person who's ever really been nice to her in the spaceship. <laughs> uh, except for young Freud. I don't know what the fuck she is on this episode. She's nice, just not at first. Uh, anyways... They go out to protect the ship from an alien attack, and she completely fails to protect him, and he dies in this action. This shot I love also because we don't actually see any of the action. I could see that not working for some people, but I like it because it's terrifying. And yeah, so she, he's dead. Episode four starts with basically a pre like a conference of a bunch of military people talking about the aliens using the stars as breeding grounds. There's like some philosophical shit about how humans are technically waste in the in the what is like the or the organism of the universe. They are just waste. Noriko, grieving the loss of Smith Torin, decides to get very good 
at Robot so she can pilot the gunbuster. Young Freud sees her training with the coach a lot, so she challenged her to a space fight. And as soon as she goes into space, Noriko like breaks down into a panic attack uh, because the last time she was out there, Smith died. And then when she's being taken care of, uh, Amano gets really protective of her again. They go into a warp. They're, I think they're going back to Earth, and they are like attacked by space aliens. Shit gets really bad. All of their robot robot machine. What are they? I think they're just called like machine machines. They don't have like a cool name for the most of the robots they're piloting. That's not going great. And this is where Noriko has her like big moment where she's like, "I am gonna get in the gunbuster. I am gonna. I'm just gonna do it." even though I'm not supposed to. She goes and gets in the gunbuster. There's a, just a great fight. I fucking love this episode. The anime is good, and when it's over, Amano is like, I was wrong about you, and she cries a bit, and I start crying as well. Um, and then episode five is when we get into like the real existential dread, um, because they go back to Earth, and Amano and Noriko graduate high school, and they establish that 10 years have passed on Earth, even though it's only been like, I don't even remember how many months for them. They said six months, I think? That sounds right. Yeah, there's a whole conversation about how Noriko ages in this show that I am very excited to have. Uh, but ten years have passed on Earth. Noriko runs into her friend Kimiko from high school, who now has a child. Uh, she learns that they Earth is like building a big ship to escape Earth because it's dying. But she also learns that like, oh yeah, it's basically just a thing for rich people. Like, could you pull some strings since you're in the military force to get my child on there? We also learned that the coach is sick and dying. Then we learn that the Earth is going to be attacked uh, by some aliens soon. And we see this is where Anna starts to do his like quick cuts of text into the shots, which is nice. Uh, so Oda charges in to the boardroom is like, hey, I have a plan. This old ship, the Excelsior that we're not using anymore, we can just charge it into their where all of their the aliens are and use it as a big bomb. He plans for Noriko and Amano to escort it into that field in the Buster machines because the Gunbuster breaks apart into two Buster machines. Right as they're about to launch, Noriko learns that Ota, the coach, might not live the whole six months that will pass on Earth while they're in space. Amano, who is in love with the coach, uh, almost backs out and like wants to leave space, but Noriko gives her a great speech. Uh, about how it's worth protect, like making those six months of his life worth it by protecting them. Um, also, it's a, she also says Young Freud uh, in in the list of people who are worth protecting. So they, they combine, they kick ass. I fucking love this fight uh, in the Gunbuster. Uh, Noriko gives out some great yells in this whole bit. Um, so the plan succeeds. The Excelsior blows up, creates a black hole. When they return, the coach is still alive, and Amano finally gets to tell him that. She loves him. And then the final episode uh, starts with a 15-year time skip. Everything is in black and white. We learn immediately that uh, the coach has now passed away. It is unclear at what point, how, like, how many more years he had. But we know that Amano, who now has his last name of Ota, uh, married him and now teaches at that school. She has aged those 15 years because she, she stayed on Earth. And she volunteers to go on another space mission. Which I kind of read as, like, uh, the coach died kind of recently, and now she's going back into it. I'll talk more about that later. But she's go so she's going up to space. She has a very existential conversation on the 
train space train there um that we'll probably talk about we cut up to noriko in space who has only lived six months in those 15 years and uh is excited when she meets that sees that omano is the person coming to pilot uh this this space mission um which i should be clear is just a big bomb yeah buster machine buster machine 3 is just a very big fucking bomb that they are using to uh kill more aliens oh no it's yeah, they're like sacrificing like an entire huge section of this galaxy to to kill all these aliens and and uh protect these humans. Um there's a lot of yeah, there's a lot of ethics and existential dread packed into this one episode. So they're going up there, the aliens attack, there's a big space battle. We don't really see it, but all the buster machines are still active and there's some sh- they call it a miracle, but then the they continue to call it not a miracle because uh, also is there no God because the bomb is like not activating, not all of the engines are activating. And Noriko says that I, you know, the buster, the buster machine can activate it by uh, exploding its engine and Amano joins her. So that way they can use one of the engines to activate the bomb and the other to get back to earth. There's a brief scene where young Freud tries to join, but they're like, no, we don't plan to, die we do want to get home you should you should go back and and uh you know we 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 will get home eventually it's very sad because <laughs> they say goodbye to young Freud, who they will definitely never see again uh because they will be out in space for quite a long time um but this succeeds a very dramatic moment where noriko tears the engine out of the chest of the gunbuster punches it into the bomb activates it uh the fleet leaves back to earth as the bomb detonates and there's yeah there's more existential dread as they float through the vastness of space and we learn that 12,000 years pass on earth as they are floating back towards it and uh as they arrive home they see the earth but it's just like dark and they're debating like you know was it was it actually saved was all of this worth it and then the slowly lights start to turn on in Okinawa where they're from uh and the lights on the earth spell out welcome back and they start crying, and I start crying. Uh, the color kicks back in for the final shot of like two red lights falling back towards to Earth as the credits start rolling, and that's Gunbuster. I just want to add that the welcome back is also significant because uh, Young Freud tells them like when they get back, no matter how long it takes, like, she's gonna uh, give them a, a a big welcome back. Yeah, and so then you see that like even despite the fact that she's like dead as hell, she like pulled that off. Twelve thousand <laughs> years in yeah. the dirt. Yeah, we should have got one final shot of robot young Freud, who's like put her brain in a robot. <laughs> <laughs> old old Freud. You know, it it ended nicer than I thought it would. Honestly, if if I if it's okay that I just say that right here at the beginning yeah. of talking about stuff, because what I was expecting to happen is I was expecting them to get there. And for them to have this horrifying, like, dreadful conversation about, well, it's been so long, maybe we did help them, but we have no way of knowing because they're gone now. I thought that's where it was going to go. That, that's that's the thing. It, it builds you up for that, but it is still, like, hopeful in the final the final yeah. moments. This ending is way more uh, Neon Genesis Evangelion episode 26 than end of Evangelion. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I absolutely love this ending. Um, the cut back to color really got me <laughs> on this rewatch. <laughs> I yeah, I just I really like it. I really like all the stuff that Gunbuster does. Even the silliness in the in the first few episodes doesn't like take me out of it because I now especially like 
knowing that it was salvaged from parody script. I I, I kind of like what Anno manages to pull out of those moments. And yeah, I feel I mean I feel like I've been talking this whole episode because I have been relaying the plot. <laughs> Chris, before I did this, I was asking you, uh, what are some things that you did like? Yes, I uh, I compiled a little list. If I think of anything else, I'll throw it in, of course. But I liked in the beginning the school the typical scene of like a, a kid at school getting like bullied by like the 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 better athletes and the cooler kids but like the dynamic of like this girl getting like the school bullies were in giant robot suits was very fun <laughs> yeah i i love that like normal schoolyard stuff is happening but in robots i think it's, it's very, very funny I, like, it's, um... it's played so straight it, it got a huge laugh out of me at the part where they're all in the robots and they go eh but yeah. it's just coming from the robots. And and the robots are like doing push-ups and like cheerleader pyramids and like it was yeah. like yeah, that stuff was fun. I didn't even think of it as being that silly. I was like, oh, this is like charming, this is entertaining. Like I didn't even think yeah. of it as being like, you know, out of line with the tone of the rest of the show. It was just it was just cute and nice. I loved the headband and the end of episode four. So the the headband that I believe was like she was supposed to like tie to something in the machine as like proof to her room of of girl pilots that she like adventured into part of the ship yeah. and then, and then she I runs into over smith. that detail she runs into smith and he helps her like put it up but so then at that point this like headband is like tied to smith and so like mm-hmm. um when she is like she has to like rally back and she gives this great there's a couple of great speeches about smith that i really like there's one where she's like more depressed and she's talking about how like i i'm gonna visit i should visit your hometown and, and meet your mother and whatever else to, like you know honor this dude and then um there's another one where she's like the old me died with you, Smith, and she puts on this headband. And then she goes and like kicks total ass to like save everybody, and it rules. Yeah, that's yeah, that's when she gets in the gunbuster in episode four, where she's like, "Fuck it, I'm gonna get in the robot." Yeah, so she does like what I wanted Shinji to do in End of Evangelion. So that was really nice to to have. <laughs> um, but also, like, there's just something about an article of clothing that you wear because of someone who died in fiction that will pretty much always kick ass. Like that shit's almost <laughs> that's always jo- cool. That's JoJo Part Two. Exactly. I was thinking yeah. of, of that during this. But yeah, so that headband stuff is great. I love the last episode being black and white. I thought it was it was really cool. I, I really loved and was surprised by the amount that they jumped through time. I just wasn't expecting them to, to go as far into the future as they did multiple times. Like Okay. Yeah. Like like jumping from like because like the first three or four episodes are like the like the basically the same that you you're with them the whole time. So even when it jumps ahead in time, you're like, oh, She's coming back to her planet after it's been, you know, however many years. But like, you know, we were still on that journey. But then it gets to the point where, like, in between episodes, it's been like hundreds of years. You're like, oh, now we're in like an entirely different situation, and like that stuff was really cool. And I love the very end with the welcome back. Mm-hmm. I was very glad they didn't do the heroic sacrifice that is done to death. Of like, <laughs> I'm gonna go, you know, take the bomb into the space thing and blow myself up. I was very thankful. We're like, no, we're gonna try to live. I was like, okay, sweet. Like that never happens anymore. <laughs> yeah, I well, yeah, I think it's uh, Anno has these like humanist impulses where it's like, yeah, these are like the Noriko is this character who is like willing to do like throw herself down for this, and Amano is like, well, like if if you let me help you, you can make it out of it alive. Yeah, and and I and I like that, and I think that's something that he also like doubles back on with young freud's like no let me come down here and and help you make it better too and, and just, she's like uh amano's like no well like this isn't a suicide mission we promise you and young freud's like 
struggling to process that because of how she views her own job. Um, I have a lot of readings on how Noriko and Young Freud's uh, like staying with the military force and and like in this time jump and the way the time jump frames them staying in in, in the force is, is very fascinating to me. And I like that where Noriko decides like, yeah, no, I, I will do this the way that gets me out of it alive. And Young Freud is like, ready to also lay her life down and they're like no no this isn't this isn't a heroic sacrifice where we die and become legends we are we are going to live at we are going to live through this young freud was a rogue one character where she was like i want to die for no reason i just want to like get blown up <laughs> thank you welcome to the anti-rogue one podcast <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's you can't it's literally in the text the dude just like i my job is done now i'm going to let a grenade blow me to pieces Ugh. <laughs> Anyway, wrong <laughs> podcast, but yeah. that's what I thought of. But she's just like, "I'll die," and they're like, "No, we don't have to." And she's like, "Oh, okay." Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, that's <laughs> the thing. I think it like sees that and is like, "No, we can, we can make this work in a way where no one has to die for the sake of of other people." Yeah, and it's it's wild though because I will say that some of my favorite moments in fiction are the big sacrifice ones. But like, I feel like when that hits, it hits super hard, and but it, way more often it misses and falls short because either you yeah. don't buy it or it's not earned or like whatever else you know like like the avengers tries to do it and like i know tony stark's not fucking blowing up in the sky like this like don't even bother wasting my time with it i know he's gonna live so like don't do it like but whatever mm. so i like i appreciate that they didn't go there with this and they like basically spat in that trope's face and just like if we can try to do the cool thing and live that would be cooler yeah, yeah. Th- that's that's the thing that i really like about this last episode is that it it uh explores those existential and emotional low points but it doesn't revel in them or end on them as a bummer like depressing text it like it explores those moments and it makes the hopeful high point of an ending hit so much harder i think yeah also there's a there's a there's a few really cool action shots yeah i like in the back half of the show i like all the action the first half doesn't have a lot of it yeah i didn't like very much of the action i thought a lot of it was like generic and easy to tune out of but there were a couple moments where i was like oh that was cool that was dope the thing about the the back half for me that i think works is just like the com- combination of like oh the music's hitting noriko's yelling all the shit she's doing it just kind of like it, it's it's more of an emotional high of my connection with the character than actually like action the way that ano perfects later on like i think the action is just bareline good and uh evangelion that is like also added by all the emotional connection to it that i get um whereas i feel like the 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 emotional underpinnings of gunbuster are doing all of the actual weight uh, or all the actual like pulling of those moments there are some cool ideas i really like when the in episode five i think where like the two parts of the uh, uh some space alien like try and crush the gunbuster and it's like holding it up like above it and like kicking down on it and like it tries to shoot the laser but it bounces off like six fucking times but yeah there's a fight in episode two where it's just like where young freud is like picking a fight with a mono and i like it's there it it just kind of happens they hit each other with like sticks <laughs> i don't dislike it just i don't think i dislike anything in gunbuster but certainly it in so much stronger than it starts. You don't dislike anything in Gunbuster? I rolled my eyes out of my skull when she rips open her shirt at the end. <laughs> I thought that was cool. <laughs> I, yeah, it, it completely I mean, lands it, for me. It, it, here's, here's the thing, and 
with that, because that brings up something that blew me the fuck back, was actually seeing nipples. <laughs> I know, yeah, that was wild. <laughs> yeah, there is there is plenty of nudity in this show. Um, the first few episodes, it feels very fanservice-y, and there's one part in, like, episode five that is completely unnecessary. But, it, like, the stuff in the final episode just feels like, like, I don't know, like, because it happens because she's tearing the front part of the robot off. Yeah. Oh, come on. It is! Come that happens on. first! No, come on. You know what you're... No, come on. I'm telling you exactly <laughs> like, what is cool. happening in no, the you anime. Could, you don't buy that, like, that this, that you could tear the front of your robot off without ripping your, your human t-shirt off as well? She can't take that come time on. when she's in a distress, I will distress say this, situation. When Unit 02 gets stabbed in the head and uh, Asuka's eye starts bleeding, it's the same shit. No, one of them is, like, showing, like, the, the damage or whatever, and one of them is showing a boob. <laughs> They're like, I don't know. But I don't, I don't, I don't think it's just showing a boob. One, one of the, I, I was gonna say, I was gonna come around. One thing that I do think I will, I will add to that, though, to be entirely fair, is there is something on a visual level about that, that, like, that works and felt like it was, um, like, demonstrating, like, like, the, like, humanity and vulnerability against this, like, alien force like like a desperate person that's like just by by showing the body at all like that kind of makes her feel like um i don't know like like i can't put it into words really but just like like the idea of like of like a, a human being against inhuman forces i guess i don't know kind of worked for me in that way but like i said when it first happened i was like come on this is fucking stupid see that's there are a lot of shots on this show that i do think are blatantly fan servicey tons <laughs> and, and I, I don't pin it on Ano entirely because the way the studio works, there's people whose job is to inject fan service into shows. Uh, I think it's something that Ano like kind of just ignores and then gets like actively upset with when he's doing Evangelion. Um, <laughs> just based on my reading of Evangelion and, and the way that he turns to like hate otaku culture. Uh, it this is a very weird comparison, but I recently watched. James Cameron's first uh, directing credit, which is Piranha 2. Not a good movie. A lot of <laughs> latent nudity in that movie just for the sake of nudity. But the way James Cameron directs it feels like it's just, he just doesn't give a shit. Like, the writers and producers are like, now we gotta have the tits out. And he, like, will shoot these naked women with close-up faces because he is just treating them like characters. I don't feel that favorably, like, to, to Gunbuster because the way the shots are are not that way necessarily um but i do feel like it is not it, it is just like a part of the system that ano is not uh directly engaging with and i th like because the in, in the last episode that shot where the shirt like gets torn off i don't feel like that's a fan service you shot like there's it, no like, there's no and everything but there's not it's not, like, it's not like a big close-up it's not like the stuff in episode two in the bathroom um which i think is probably the low point of the show for me I don't know. I feel like considering how fan service the show can be, I don't think that's the intention at all with the with that shot in the ending. If you want to complain about the stuff in the first half, sure, yeah, I agree with you. But <laughs> no, uh, the 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 only thing that with that that got me like rolling my eyes is it was in episode four. I'm pretty sure, like before that she gets called back in, she like lays yes. down in bed. Oh yes, that, yeah, that's, yeah. I take I take it back. That's that's the low point because that's the one that feels is... the most unnecessary. Well, that one, th up until that point, I was like, 
I recognize this character and these things from somewhere, not just because I've seen a picture or just because it's like it looks sty stylistic for its time, like it looks how you think an anime would look in like 88, 89. But I've seen that gif multiple times on just different like on Reddit and like different tweets complaining about like people not understanding female anatomy and that or her, <laughs> her boob just like it's yeah, it's excessive it goes all over the place. There's yeah, there's I remember like watching it last night and the ba there's a bathroom scene in, in episode two where like they're it's it's Noriko and Amano and y young Freud joins them and I'm like maybe this isn't as excessive as I thought, but then like everything with young Freud is excessive. Well, yeah, and aren't they like and I don't know about young Freud because they didn't really get it, they didn't specify with her, but like Noriko's like a high schooler. Yeah, I think they're 17. She's 17 by the end. Because she's a freshman in high school, which in Japan is like fifteen. The the show, I I I don't know how intentional it is in the first few episodes, but by the end, I do think it is like doing intentionally something with like the way that she is not aging uh, among her peers because of the time dilation shit that I that I find interesting. Yeah, because I, I remember in when they come back to Earth. And it's been 10 years. I think Amano has a line where it's like, technically, you're 27 now. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, which to me, honestly, <laughs> if I'm going to be honest, it really felt like a cheat to be like, see, the nudity is fine. She's time travel aging. <laughs> see, that feels, I, I understand that reading. I think it's a little bad faith. But... I, know, I, know, I know, I know, I know. I understand that there's like more at play than that. But that was my first thought when they said that was like, mm -hmm. oh, OK, you think you're going to like get away with all the all the other stuff now? Like, yeah. And that's, that's uh, yeah, I, I, I get that but the thing is that like no because they were doing it in the first two episodes so i don't really think it's an excuse yeah yeah the, that's it, true. i i think it's something that ano uh, well, ano would have been 20 mid 20s i i think as his career progresses he gets like very different opinions on it just because i'm like even the way that i read a lot of the fan service stuff in neon genesis evangelion end of evangelion but even just like his next film after that is a film called Love and Pop, this is, which is like almost entirely about how, well, it's, it's about a lot of things, about how the economy crashed in the 90s, um, but also the way that like young girls are commodified and exploited by adult men. And he's like very uh, pointedly upset with it. So like, I feel like with that being a, a point is like, in his career that he grapples with that i think it is a thing that he actively becomes upset with um but mm -hmm. it is also just in gunbuster a bunch yeah but yeah that's that's an important thing that we definitely needed to to get to was all the nudity that i didn't bring up during the recap because it didn't seem like the right <laughs> it was time a plot, it wasn't exactly plot relevant sure yeah well yeah i also glossed over the the weird truth or dare shit where that's how she meets uh Smith, uh, Jory, I, I realize now that's yeah. probably that's the scene you sent me an animation cell on eBay. I realize, yeah, now that I'm thinking of it, that it's her pulling the truth or dare thing. But when you sent it yeah. to me out of context, it's like this is her holding a joint. You've sent me a meme <laughs> of her holding a joint, <laughs> yeah. It's only like $500 to get uh, an animation cell, yeah, that's worth it. <laughs> I feel like I'm I would love to own a right now. I would love to own a cell from Gunbuster, but probably not that one. It is a good shot of her face, oh, though. It does look like a joint. It's very funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, Joy, what what are some other stuff that you had uh, in mind that you wanted to talk about that we haven't gotten to yet? I I had like a thought on what a, 
what was going on with the, like, when they first introduced the time stuff with her, like, coming across her dad ship with their light speed and stuff. That was, like, driven home to me when she had the conversation with her friend. Specifically with the, when she meets up with her friend after, it's been ten years for her friend, it's only been, like, six months or whatever yeah. for her. It definitely feels like the comparison they're making is that, like, she had to grow up really fast for what she's doing, and because of that, she missed out on, like, important milestones mm -hmm. in life, which I think is also um kind of a thing there when, like, uh she, go she goes to, like, the locker room or something in the third episode, and uh some of the girls are just talking about how one of the girls and her boyfriend slept together for the first time. It's just kind of going over stuff that, it's like stuff that she missed that's like milestones in someone's life as they're going up, but she's dedicated to this as shown in the last one where she's st stuck with the military even, where she's like missed out on all this stuff she's put. And because of that, she might as well just stick with the military because all of her pe she doesn't have any peers anymore. Like, it's just she had to grow up real fast and then it just kind of stuck at the state because when she got there, she didn't she wasn't able to progress. Yeah, this is something that. I think uh, Anna continues to deal with, like Evangelion, I think, uh, does it with like the way Misato acts childish and like uh, Shinji's like an adult and like the way that they in interact. Um, but I do think Anna is like exploring this idea and using the time dilation mechanics to present it visually. Uh, but yeah, I do think like the, the work that Noriko is being pushed into, well, she wants to do it, but like she is like yeah. being pushed further along it when the coach is like, no, I want you to do this project. I think you're capable of doing this project. Uh, and she rises to the challenge. Um, but I do think like the way that, yeah, her, her peers life on earth is like aging past her at such a severe rate. I think it, my, my reading of it, which is strongly colored by the rest of, Ano's uh, career and, and other stuff he creates. Um, I think it, to me, I read it as a representation of like severe hardships and traumas, like emotionally stunting her or, or an individual and um, yeah. at like her peers age into normal adult lives. Like Masato ends up being childish and, uh, and childless. Uh, and, and like uh, Noriko is like seeing her friends. Yeah. Like, oh yeah. Kimiko has a, has a kid now and um, all this stuff. And Noriko is still, uh mentally and also uh visibly a teenager um which yeah a lot of people are like ah oh, but then you have like a someone who looks like a teenager with the who's adult and i understand that uh criticism entirely but i think what ano is doing with it is is nuanced uh in in this show and I, another thing that we'll talk about later but what i and i i really like uh in the back episode we see that amano steps out of it yeah she she stays on earth for 15 years she has her life with coach but after he passes she's like nah fuck it i'm going back in she's like i i, I had what i i what was here for me and now like because and i think it, it's great because he understood like they they are able to connect but like because of that trauma she's experienced uh she there's there is a barrier between her and people who haven't experienced who have aged at different rates than her and she's like i i can't connect with these people the way I could with him or the way I can with Noriko. So I'm going back to space. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah. That, I thought that was really nice as well. I, I definitely, she, she probably saw some with him cause they said it was like space radiation or something that he had. Just, yeah. Space I, radiation poisoning yeah, or something like that. Yeah. Like who knows how much time he's actually spent up there. <laughs> who, yeah. I, who, who could say, cause we don't, 
really get his backstory. It's just uh, he was saved by Noriko's dad, and then he helps train them, and then, you yeah, he's, he's sick. Yeah, just have a nice hat. But yeah, I, I, I really like all that stuff. I think it is indicative that, uh, especially looking at, like, how Ava grapples with similar stuff, just, like, this idea that, um, like, an obsession in a craft uh, and, and trauma that comes from it can alienate you from your peers, uh, and then you just become, like, only comfortable in that space that caused that trauma, further obsessing with it, and, and the barriers just get stronger and stronger. And I, I think it's I think it's really good. I think the visuals of having, like, Amano age 15 years and come back and Noriko and young Freud look the same, like, completely works for me in, in those themes. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, and I think Young Freud's another side of it where like she uh isn't like she, she has she's harder to convince that like no, just go go and live. Go and live, we're gonna do this. Uh and she's like, No, this is all I have. I, I need to die in this big robot or else. And they're like, No, yeah. please, please don't. This is not a suicide mission. Yeah. I love Young Freud. Especially after like she I can't remember which one where she just like yeah, I've decided I've given up on Coach. I'm just going to work, whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she also kind of has a thing for him, but Amano ends up, you know, marrying him, which I think is interesting, too, because Amano comes up being like, yeah, I married I married him. Uh, we had a full life together, and young Freud's like, it's been six months. I still hate you. I'm still a teenager. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She smacks her, and she gives her the, the keys to the gunbuster because presumably for those six months, Noriko was piloting with young Freud. It's very cool. I really like Gunbuster. Chris, I wish you liked it a little bit more. Me too. I like the ideas that are at play. Like everything y'all are saying is like, yeah, that's good. And like, and it had a lot of elements that I was even noticing during it. I was like, these like should work fine. Like on paper, it's like, Mm -hmm. that's fine. But just like, for some reason, the execution, it just like, it just didn't grab me and like never, never really did for very long. There were, like I said, there were a couple Mm -hmm. sequences where like, I was like, oh, I'm I'm in now. But like, oh, then they lost me again. I never was in it as much as I wanted to. And like, I was on my phone sometimes. I just, I just found myself like, there's something about it. I think like, I think honestly, like my criticism of it, that I think applies to, to that the most is just that as much as I liked certain elements of it and, and certain parts about like, the, the, the concept and stuff are, are very like not generic. I think a lot of, a lot of it was kind of generic. Like a lot of the characters, they were like fine, but I didn't like love them. And the aliens were really like not interesting. And so, like, I just, there was not a lot there for me to grab onto, I guess. I don't know. That's fair. I think, for for me, I feel like, uh, I mean, it is very rooted in Anno's influences of, like, classic Gundam and space monster stuff. Um, I don't feel like it's derivative, but I think it's very easy to see it, like, oh, yeah, it's just more of the same. Yeah. For, uh, for, for me, like, one, one thing is I, I was hooked right from the start because I'm a, I'm a monster. And most people might not be aware or expect it because they they know me only talking about One Piece. Most of the stuff I've watched when it comes to anime is just like dumb slice of life. High school girls being like, Mm -hmm. hey, isn't it weird that ice cream's like this? And then it's a 30 minute episode where they go get ice cream. (laughs) That's that's most of the stuff that I, I watch. So like right away I was hooked with with really simple like. Her her dad was in space, but he he died. She wants yeah. to be, she wants to be in space like her dad. There's this upper upperclassman girl who she wants to be just like, and mm-hmm. who it has just like that generic like infatuation with. And then there's mean bullies at the school who are the most like 
horrifically evil looking women I have ever seen in any media ever. <laughs> yeah. Those senior girls are terrifying. They look like they're gonna like break her legs so she can't go into space, not just like, you can't beat me in the robot. They're gonna like assault and murder her. Mm-hmm. And that beginning really worked for me too. With with <laughs> with uh the dad? Yeah. I was like, oh sweet, like this is a cool and I really I actually I am glad this came up because I really admired how like as a person who's trying to like write shit, I'm always noticing stuff like this where it's like, oh, like this is a really clever way to get exposition across in a way that doesn't feel like you're just doing that because having it be like um, giving us the backstory about her dad and stuff through a, like a paper she wrote as like an elementary schooler where she's like, my dad works for whatever. I want to be like him sometimes. Oh, this is so smart because it's like it's mm-hmm. endearing. It's, right it's, away, it's characterizing it's like, oh, for her kid. as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and then like it's like you always. A unique presentation of just like her dad was a space pilot and he died like it was just like oh cool this is impressive mm-hmm. i should keep keep note of this as like a way to do something like that for me i think it, it i doubled down on my appreciation of that because of how episode two starts with you seeing it and it's like so dark and harrowing especially with how bright and, and uh light-hearted the first episode is for the most part yeah. mm-hmm. um but then two yeah two opens up with you seeing the coach like being saved in this like ship that uh is blow- blowing the fuck up and w- and we'll see you know more of it in that same episode when uh uh when when Noriko goes inside of it and and the coach also has to go back inside of it after so long which I completely love those being in the same episode uh but one of my something that I didn't bring up because I glossed over the scene um but when in the last episode when Amano comes up to space she gives uh, Noriko some stuff from her friend on Earth, Kimiko, and her daughter. And uh, there's a really nice parallel that I think is really cool for, like, demonstrating just visually the the, the gap in time. But uh, in, in the shot in episode two, we see uh, her dad, Noriko's dad's last moments are looking at this, like, uh, short little, like, pocket video. Uh, it's the future. This takes place in 2015. They had pocket videos. Um, but he takes out this, uh, like short video of Noriko at age eight being like, dad, come home soon, that he plays over and over again as he dies. Um, and then Noriko, in the last episode, gets one of those from Kimiko of her daughter, who is now Noriko's quote-unquote age, who is now like, yeah, uh, 17 or 18. Just a subtle thing where now there's now a 3D effect on the pocket video. Just like that mm, that yeah. little touch, I was like, oh, yeah, it's, it says a lot without being two in your face about it that's cool i i liked this stuff with with her her friend and her friend's kid yeah. that's definitely worked for me too yeah There's i love a, that what what it, what i like i think what it like it shows without forcing it in your face is that these are it's like at this point especially when uh her friend's older is that they people their society has gotten used to the fact that sometimes people they know go into space and then come back and it's been 20 years for you but it's only been a mm-hmm. year for for them so like the fact that she still like cares for her friend despite not being corresponding and get like telling her daughter about her friend and her her daughter like caring about her friend almost as much like as much as you could expect from that like it's it's just a really nice way for them to establish that it's not like a weird thing for everyone it's just something they've grown to be used to at this point yeah well uh anime val kilmer lady she the the villain of episode 1 uh, when they go back and it's been 10 years and they graduate, she's the coach there. And like, yeah, she, which is cool. Um, and then in the final episode uh, where 
Amano is the coach, or I can't remember her actual first name, but um, Amano is the coach, and now Val Kilmer is, like, the principal, and she's old as dirt. Yeah. <laughs> and just, like, little things like that to just, like, make, like, kind of make you visually grapple with uh, that. Like, it's like old grandma Val Kilmer is in the same episode as, like, Noriko still being a teenager in space. And Amano mm-hmm. is just, like, a middle area where she, like, came back but still can't really commit to it. Yeah. How do y'all feel about the design of Gunbuster? Looks neat. Like the the robot, I thought it was I thought it was kind of boring. I, I it's, the, just, it's just like a giant. It's just like a large like. It's Gundam very it's robot very traditional. Thing. The headpiece yeah. thing was kind of cool. Like and it, and it reminded me of a Gundam that I couldn't think of. Um, mm. It also reminded me of this like big um, Megazord toy that was like a bowl that I had as a kid <laughs> for some reason. But uh, it was like eh, it's fine. I like the part. I like the scene. I like the scene where they had to like split it up. And yeah, like, shot like shot off in like two little jet planes. That was cool. Yeah, I, I yeah I love seeing them combine and separate. It's a uh, it's a very nice. Yeah, it's it's very traditional. I, I even then uh, and I was like playing with like yeah most of these machines are just like uh made like with the same parts and don't look any different. But like Gunbuster special, these Buster machines are special. They stand out. And then he I think he's I think he's better at those exact things and and Evangelion as well. But. Yeah, those those designs are really like fresh and stand out. Like, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, he's that's eight, seven, eight years later. <laughs> so yeah. Um, I I really like seeing this like, uh, Ano like really breaking ground with a lot of ideas that he'll get better with later. Mm-hmm. I think I'm not so su- I'm not I'm not surprised that Jory, you said you preferred this to Evangelion. I wonder if you'll still feel that way as more time passes. But it's. Uh, I, I do think it has a lot of similar core things, and it, yeah, it, I think it is uh, a much quicker pace to get through them. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's also why I like the uh, the rebuilds a bit more, just because like stuff doesn't drag as much. I'll talk about the rebuilds when we get there. <laughs> it's, I haven't seen them in years, but I'm very excited to rewatch them. I was talking about Jay she was for a work a long of time art. Them. <laughs> I. I uh, this is this. Is, th- these words mean nothing to Chris. My my, I remember. I, <laughs> I remember thinking that two is a literally perfect film. One is just okay, and I was really hard on three. But I've been thinking a lot about three lately. People who know some stuff about three will probably know why from listening to me talk about Gunbuster. But <laughs> something I learned was that it was supposed to come out at the exact same time as four. Like they were supposed to be two shorter movies, and that didn't happen. They expanded on three, and now four has obviously been so many years later. So I'm almost, I, I might think that three might just age better when the like it'll make more sense when it's over, <laughs> kind of thing. Probably, yeah. I'm sorry, Chris, that you have to that that, that you are you are uh, excluded from this conversation, but we'll That's get there. No problem. I'm sure we'll we'll talk in length about these films. That, I think yeah, I think the 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 six episode cap certainly works in Gunbuster's favor. Ano gets to like his in the game ideas so much quicker just because he only had six to work with. Um, yeah, he he, he, did, he, could, more... he couldn't he didn't have room for a magma diary. It was just like I have to yeah. I, I have to have someone die and for her to have like these emotional stakes. Yeah, if there was more episodes, it would because they just show everything they need to. They're all pivotal moments, both to her, both to humanity and everything. If there's more episodes, it'd just be like, oh, she fights this big scary looking bug. When she's still not sure if she can control Gunbuster, or yeah, even though the situate first situation with Gunbusters, Gunbusters isn't completed, but we got to use it. There w- before that, there would have been a Gunbuster is nowhere near completion. We don't know if our what we have are strong enough to beat it. So she beats a big bug with 
a regular robot and shows uh-huh. that she can control Gunbuster when it's ready. Yeah. Yeah, she basically does nothing in the robot until she gets in Gunbuster. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and like with it just being six episodes, like e- that makes it easy for me, even though I wasn't like enamored with it, to be like, yeah, you should check it out because like there's cool stuff in it, and like you know, you two enjoyed it more than I did, so like I, I would I would tell somebody that was curious about it, like yeah, try it, it's short. Uh, do you do you find it interesting to see like parts like things that Ano perfect like or maybe not perfected but like liked or did better later? Like, do you see those parts of his like uh visual style forming? I wasn't no well. I was guess I was noticing some parts of the visual style. I was mostly noticing stuff in terms of just subject matter, like okay. oh, this is stuff that you're not gonna yeah. be done toying with or exploring. Sure, like, we're yeah, we're like we're. This is your first swing at kids piloting robots and and sad shit happening to them and and yeah, kind of humanity <laughs> questions. Like it, you know. it feels like a, a pretty clear blueprint of like the kind of stuff you want to do with Evangelion. Yeah, what's interesting is, and we don't we don't have time to talk about Nadia at full length on this podcast. But I think similarly he is doing he is doing similar stuff with Nadia as well between then like here and and uh 95. I'll talk more about Nadia at the end of the episode when I give more of a history lesson, <laughs> but uh for now, there's one other thing that I want to dig into with uh Gunbuster. I don't want to keep y'all all night, although I will stay here as long as you want to. Um, uh, <laughs> but the, my one last note that I do want to talk about is in that last episode, the, the ethical conversations that are being juggled around, uh, there's a scene where, I don't know if y'all have seen Ad Astra, but it reminds me of Ad Astra the way that there's just a train car that goes up into space, like a different spaceport on the moon for going deeper into space. I love Ad Astra. Uh, but when she's going up there, there's like some, I don't know if it, we never see him again, just some business guy who's talking about, like, the ethics of setting off a, a a huge bomb that destroys half, like, a huge chunk of the galaxy just for the sake of human preservation. He's like, I don't know, it feels wrong. Maybe we should just give up. And and uh, I love her line of, hey, history may judge us, but it will come to judge us. And I, I feel like that really distills uh, this idea of, like, giving literally anything they can to uh persevere human life even if like like what what there is no uh philosophical or maybe not philosophical but like there is like what episode like episode three or something where the the board meeting is like well there's really no benefit to human life <laughs> like we are yeah. we are a bacteria that is destroying a planet really um and like i i i, I like that debate that is happening eternally ano never says one thing is right or wrong He'll yeah. just he'll just put a debate in the show, <laughs> but but I like that, I, and I like these characters being steadfast of this. Like you know what we're we're gonna keep making humans, and if later people uh think it's wrong, they will be around to think that it's wrong, and I I just like the way that is distilled in the dialogue there, and then they do it and they live, and humans are still there in twelve thousand years, <laughs> and they make them a nice sign. Mm-hmm. I like I like that they're having the conversation despite the fact that from what we're aware they never came across other intelligent life in space besides the horrific space bugs because if this kind of thing were in a like a star trek or a mass effect or something and they're like we can't blow up half the galaxy and be like well there's other people living there you can't put your yeah people in focus and it just become it becomes i don't i don't know what the exact way to describe it is but it just seems like something almost expected to come out of that but the fact that they're like that 
from what the only thing I can they, they go into is like the only bad thing that happened from them like doing the thing near Jupiter was that it pull, some of the planets were sucked up and that uh, Earth's axis was thrown off just a little bit. So which has huge implications for the planet, but it's not sure. like people can't live anymore. There's nothing to really stop them. It's just like, do, should we we have the power to do something this grand? Is Should we even be able to do something like this? And ultimately, yeah, it's like, well, we're going to keep on living. Uh, we can't explain this to billions of people like, hey, it's fucked up to get rid of other planets. So we're all going to die. It makes that random guy look like like the sweetest dude for like considering that it still might be wrong even though all there is is monsters out there. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's all we see. I guess like you could, I, I, I would be willing to imagine that like, oh yeah, they just didn't go out there far enough to find it. <laughs> we, we only ever see them doing things to uh, preserve the human race. They don't. We only yeah. we don't, <laughs> like they look for other briefly systems they could live in, but it's not like. I don't know. This, yeah, this is imagining a world where they don't. There's nothing else out there. It's just humans and yeah. fucked up monsters. They don't yeah. befriend any wacky green aliens. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I, I I like those scenes. I think they are interesting and just like the the conversations they they're they're starting. I'm just like, yeah, is it? You know, we are we are furthering to destroy other things for our own sake. Is it? Is it worth it? Is it right? I think it's like the like a a larger expanding upon the idea of like is it cool what we're doing to the earth if it's better for us right now? I like it. I like Gunbuster. I don't know if I've said that yet, but <laughs> I just want to make it clear. Is there any other thoughts y'all had on Aim for the Top Gunbuster? I feel guilty like, that you don't like it. That's, yeah. No, you're well, you're, you're allowed to you're allowed Here's to have your own this. taste. My, I could only be friends with people who like the same exact things I like. So <laughs> catching the block as soon as we hit stop. I'm yeah, sorry. No, Gun, <laughs> Gun, Gun, Gunbuster is okay. I'll, I'll, yeah, I'm glad you didn't like hate it. But no, obviously I would you know like you to like things that you are watching mainly because i told you to because then i feel bad um <laughs> yeah yeah but uh the ratio is still much more positive than negative so we're good mm-hmm. the second i, that I it's can like... see see why it wouldn't work for people so it's so it's i'm not just like confused or just like no you just didn't get it <laughs> yeah i don't think anything that we talk about on the show will ever be something that is so objectively good that i am <laughs> disappointed i think it's all like yeah no like i could see it not being for for everybody I enjoy the conversation. I like seeing the, the other side of it of like why it, it isn't connecting to for sure. Y'all are going to put on a headband that just says Gunbuster on it after this podcast, <laughs> after I killed it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, we get to we had to talk about the sequel next time, which is another six episode show um, that isn't directed by Hideaki Anno, but it's still important. Now, even though I just got done talking about how boring I thought this was, I actually am interested in a sequel because of just like, well, where do you go from that? Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Without, I, I'm just excited to see your takes on it. Like, I'm not going to do any other leading beyond like, yeah, I'm excited yeah. to watch it and have that conversation. Watch, it's just like the raddest shit ever. Like, Venom's out there. <laughs> <and> like, <laughs> Jory, you won't be back on our next episode, but I am still curious how you like Die Buster if you ever watch it. Uh, I, I'll probably end up watching it. Oh, the opening theme of, uh, Die Buster is done by a group that did one of my favorite anime openings ever, so I have to watch it now. The opening of Die Buster is so good. What, what's your favorite opening, Joey? Um, it's, I'll have to look up the name exactly. 
What is the opening of? <laughs> Welcome to the NHK. Oh, okay. Which is a show, especially now, I think uh, people should watch. It's, it's strange for a show to display, like, social anxiety and, like, feelings of inadequacy and, like, feeling cooped up in a way that's not comedic and, like, laughing at him or, like, over-ridiculous. Like, mm-hmm. they just the way they show that, especially when they have problems with people, like, the kikimori, the thing, the term for it in Japan, just shut-ins who never leave the house. Like, I I think they handle it in a way that's surprisingly good for something that was made, like, 12 years ago. I've been meaning to watch it forever, but I'll probably get around to it at some point. Well, if there if there are no more uh, thoughts to have about Gunbuster at this time, I will now resume Joe's history lesson uh, to talk about Anno's career between this point and, uh, and <laughs> Evangelion, and also how we get to Die Buster. Uh, but basically, there, there's one guy <laughs> who's an asshole. Uh, Hiroaki Inoue is... Uh, working at Studio Gainax, basically handling the hard stuff because Okada isn't good at handling a business. <laughs> and so he's he's handling the band ideal for Gunbuster stuff. And he's like challenging their leadership. He's like, I'm fed up with it. Uh, and they respond to that by trying to hire someone else to replace him. Um, and he responds to that by intercepting a pitched project from NHK. Then, you know, pitching his own project back to NHK which they accept, that project turns into Nadia, and Gynex staff is like, hey, can we remove this dude? Because that fucking sucked. Uh, so they do. They get Inoue removed, but they still make Nadia. The original story of Nadia is, was, was pitched by Hayao Miyazaki. Um, I think he ends up doing that same thing, like the same premise again later. I think it's Howl's Moving Castle. I don't remember. It's kind of based on Around the World in 80 Days. Uh, but anyways, it's, it's Miyazaki's original pitch, Ano ends up, he's like third on the list to direct the show, but he ends up doing it. Uh, and that show, Inoue's pitch was way too big. Gynex couldn't actually keep up with it. Uh, so that money, or that, that show drains Gynex of money. Um, they, the way that the show, or the way that the studio was very collaborative didn't really work for the show because scripts would be changed overnight and get to people late. Um, it was just kind of a production disaster. Ano works an episode at a time, so he had a, a, a trouble finishing the show coming up with an ending nadia's i think 36 episodes long which is too long for ano <laughs> there's like a whole chunk of episodes that he didn't direct which is a a huge point of contention for that show but throughout nadia and its weird identity crisis ano is still crafting these like production techniques in like direction techniques and like he starts to really use uh certain music cues and religious imagery that he would uh later refine in Evangelion. Um, there's a great video called Appreciating Nadia up on YouTube that I'll link in the show notes to this episode. It's worth a watch. They talk about it as if you've seen it. I like the video and I haven't seen it. Uh, I just think it's a, a great piece of context for how Nadia fits into uh, Anno's career because um, we're not going to talk about it on the show uh, ever again. Um, but so Gynex uh, makes Nadia. They completely run out of money and they're only saved by some successful video games. Um, it's kind of Okada eventually leaves. Is not really sure why, but then nineteen ninety that's in nineteen ninety two, and that year continues to be fucking awful for Gynex. Uh the the merchandising side general products shutters um and becomes a part of Gynex rather than a partner. They start producing a film that uh has no funding and never actually happens. Uh they release nothing in nineteen ninety two. Uh and some staff leave uh to create Studio Gonzo, 
uh, which is a studio that went on to do Helsing, Gantz, Afro Samurai. I didn't know that. They are, they, yeah, they, they fractured from Gainax in, I, I would say, I think 92 is the year. So that movie that they were trying to make never gets made. Uh, and then Anno has a contact at King Records, which despite everything that's going on for Gainax, they uh, line up funding for a project that turns into Neon Genesis Evangelion. Uh, Guy next staff is small. A lot of work is outsourced. Um, and because Anno doesn't plan very far ahead, it leads to the finale situation that doesn't really have uh, money and isn't really exactly what the show looked like in the beginning. But obviously we've talked a lot about Neon Genesis Evangelion. I think our takes are, are well documented on that show. And wouldn't you know it, everyone fucking loves that show. Neon Genesis Evangelion is a huge fucking hit. Gynex makes a bunch of games, merch, uh, movies, and most of all, they make money. There is a visual novel for Evangelion called uh, Girlfriend of Steel that I'm very interested in, <laughs> based on title alone. Uh, but Gynex... Uh, the Girlfriend of Dan of Steel. Yes, The Girlfriend of Dan of Steel. Great joke <laughs> uh, about JoJo localization. Thanks. So every, everyone's making money. It's great. Gynex is saved, and in 1998, the president is arrested for tax fraud. <laughs> uh, oh, probably like Yoshi. Yeah, yeah. He <laughs> <laughs> beat me to it. Uh, yeah, there's some people are like, oh, they just don't know what to do with a lot of money. And it's like, well, he's arrested. 1998 is also when Anno releases Love and Pop, a film that is about uh, teenagers in Japan who become call girls and the traumas that come with it. Great fucking movie. Um, he's also really digging into like weird like production techniques and like early digital filmmaking. You can see him like try and recreate shots he did in Evangelion that are like much harder to do with a real camera because you can't put a camera inside of an elevator door. Um, but he makes it work anyway. Uh, he also begins directing the adaptation of Kari Kano, uh, His and Her Circumstances, which is a well-loved manga. And that adaptation doesn't really work out uh, because he's straying too far from the source material. So studio doesn't like that. He can't be as he can't allegedly he can't do stuff he wants to because of the Pokemon seizure event. Um, and obviously he does a lot of very quick flashy stuff. So the back half of that show, episode 16 through 26 is uh, credited uh, to being directed by Ano and uh, Hiroki Sato, who is a name I could not find doing literally anything else. But then Gynex is still on this post Evangelion buzz, so they can still pretty much pitch whatever they want. Uh, Kazuya Suramaki who is Anno's protege, who worked a lot on Evangelion and End of Evangelion, he is pushed to pitch his own project. He directs a six-episode OVA titled FLCL. People fucking love that show. Oh, I was going to ask if that's a popular one. <laughs> yeah, it's, I think it's pretty solid. I don't like it as much as a lot of people. I, I feel like Suramaki is struggling with being Anno's protege and like dealing with similar things, but differently, and trying to be out there mm. and visionary. I think a lot of it's really great. That same year is when Anno directs and releases a film called Ritual, which I think is an incredible fucking film. I wish it was accessible enough to justify talking about it on this podcast because I feel like it is the emotional, logical conclusion of all the shit in Evangelion. Because um, it is about a director who does not know how to interact with people other than making art. And uh, he falls in love with, I guess, he's, he starts a relationship with a uh, person who is constantly processing trauma and he's trying to help them through it by making a film. And it's just like very, basically impossible to find legally, but great movie. And then in 2002, Anno gets married. And then I don't know exactly what year. I would assume 2002, 2003. Uh, Bandai says, hey, y'all want to make a Gunbuster sequel? We're about to be on like our, I think, 20th anniversary. Uh, not of Gunbuster, but of 
I think, Bandai Visual. And Anna's like, well, I can't. I'm directing a live-action Cutie Honey movie because I I had my catharsis. <laughs> I got married. Now I'm doing Cutie Honey, obviously. Um, so Suramaki steps up to the plate uh, and directs the 2004 six-episode OVA, Aim for the Top 2, Die Buster, which is what we'll talk about next time on the podcast. Thank you for coming to my class. <laughs> the homework is to watch Die Buster. <laughs> <laughs> and I like Die Buster. I'm excited to, to talk about it. Oui. I was worried I put you to sleep there, Chris, because you were you <laughs> hadn't said anything yet. What am I supposed to say? I I gave a teacher, <laughs> teacher, repeat the part about. I've already forgotten the name of the protege. <laughs> Jory, did I ever answer your question about Daikon four or three? No, I had a real. It's a really dumb question. I was just gonna watch. Is the girl supposed to be just like a prototype Noriko? Is that or is it just coincidence that they have red hair and look the same? Oh, probably just a coincidence. There's a there's a Daikon <laughs> reference in FLCL that I mm. did not catch until I rewatched it this year. So I'm looking at the FLCL wiki, and apparently Crystal Pepsi is mentioned in the dub. Probably. That sounds about right. I haven't, wa- <laughs> I haven't watched the dub, but I completely believe it. That must, not, that must be why it doesn't stand out to you, because you weren't up at 2 in the morning as an 8-year-old and saw it on Adult Swim? Like I, I actually did. did. The thing is, I saw oh. it on a very tiny TV, like, wicked small. Mm. And um, I remember thinking, I am too young to be allowed to watch this this is i i like yeah <laughs> i feel I, I feel wrong watching it which is like fair i think kind of the point of a lot of the shit in the flcl is like the yeah the the, mm-hmm. the coming of age specifically with sexuality and the hardship that comes with that and like weird age gaps yes. um now i appreciate that shit a lot um but as a kid i, I felt very alienated <laughs> I, I i'm just gonna because because i have to get out my my mean I mean, thoughts about the show, it's great, but I also don't want to hear people talk about it, because no. it just comes from, I saw it when I was eight, and it's cool. Yeah, no, FLCL is, like, weirdly <laughs> dense. Suramaki's an interesting director. Obviously, he continues to, to work with Ano stuff, because he, uh, the rebuild movies happen. But, um, yeah, FLCL, I, I didn't think it was worth fitting into this podcast, but I mean, it's cool. It's on Hulu. Yeah. I, th- I, think, I think it's plenty talked about. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. <laughs> but yeah, I think uh, I think that's probably it that I have to say uh, this time. I'll talk a little bit more about Gynex after Die Buster. Spoilers, it's the same fucking trend of they make an incredible anime and then the director makes a studio on their own. Um, but, <laughs> but yeah, I'm looking forward to talking about Die Buster. I think it's on Crunchyroll. This is pretty accessible to watch. So I recommend it. Uh, there were some people talking about watching Gunbuster and Diebuster in the Discord, um, which is why I talk about the accessibility of certain things to watch. Also, Anno's Cutie Honey movie. The the English dub is just on YouTube as of now. Huh. I don't know if it really fits into the podcast feed. Like that's proper. a live action movie or the Cutie Honey OVA? The, the live action. Um, oh, I, for- okay. I, I I forgot to mention that. Yeah, he also oversees a anime cute like re Cutie Honey six months after I, the the live action movie i'm really curious to see how he handles something like cutie honey <laughs> and the, the thing about ano is that he's a huge fucking nerd who just wants to make <laughs> media that he likes like gunbuster is very much playing with his influences yeah. evangelion strikes out on its own to its strength but like yeah like Di- daikon is like there's Darth Vader's in that shit. Like Godzilla is in that shit. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, I saw Superman, Superman. Yeah. There's a bunch of references in Daikon four. Um, and then, which is for an anime. Judy honey would make sense because I know convention. that was like, that's considered to be the first like magical girl. Yes. Yeah. Going to guys early, early Thanks. stuff. 
Um, but yeah, so he makes his Ultraman fan film. He gets to make Cutie Honey. He gets to make a Godzilla movie in 2017, which oh, which yeah. we'll, we'll talk about on the podcast. I promise you that rules. <laughs> uh, and then yeah, and then and then he gets uh uh he's supposed to make an Ultraman movie, an actual Ultraman movie now. Which oh, I hope so. I hope that works out. Yeah, That'd be awesome. <laughs> I, I I think the plan was to get four uh, the the fourth rebuild film out first, which yeah, <laughs> I think is done. I believe that it's it was supposed to come out next month but yeah i think they want to have like actual showings and not like throw it onto streaming like trolls yeah <laughs> or scoob can't forget scoob or vin diesel's bloodshot mm. i saw bloodshot <laughs> in the theater against my better judgment of going outside that weekend i've heard that movie's awesome so <laughs> it's, have you seen it yet chris not yet i'm still i'm still it finally dropped in price so i'm gonna do okay. it I just nice to oh i was gonna my... say i hope chris has seen it or plans I, on seeing it i told Pat, i, I we're, need we're... to watch it I told the cat we're doing a wine and Vin Diesel's bloodshot night, so that's what I have to look forward to. I've heard it's just a video game. It's so. it's an action movie about action movies that plays with tropes um, that you would I've expect. I've heard that, yeah. yeah. Um, I think it's shy of what it's shooting for, but it's fine. It's cool. <laughs> I, saw it, I saw it the same day that I saw uh, Portrait of a Lady on Fire for the second time, so maybe my opinions are skewed. Mm. Portrait of a Vin Diesel's bloodshot on fire. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, anyways, I think that's I think that's the episode. Thanks everybody for listening. Jory, where could people find you on the internet if they really liked all of your great Gunbuster takes? Uh, you can find just as good takes right on Twitter.com at No I'm Jory. You'll know it's me because it's a picture of me, an illustrated picture of me drinking a horrifying, toxic concoction of soda. I think about that a lot. I always forget what the picture is that I remember. I'm like, that gave me a stomachache. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for people who maybe have don't know, but a while ago, Jory made a video of like mixing Surge and Crystal Pepsi. <laughs> the 90s drink. Yep. Yeah, and it, it, it hurts your tummy. Don't do it. <laughs> uh, if you should, you should uh, just cherish your Crystal Pepsi and not ruin it by mixing it with OK Surge. I, I'm so mad that Surge is readily available and Crystal Pepsi isn't. <laughs> yeah, it's fucked up. Uh, you can find me on other shows here on the network. One's with one with Joe called uh, We Are Watching One Piece. No. Or we or after tonight, I'm going to start watching One Piece or One Piece tomorrow. Yeah, we're about to start Impel Down. For, for that. Hope you're excited for yeah. all of that shit. One fear. <laughs> I, I I have another podcast that I need to figure out more episodes recording soon called Sis and Hank. Uh, it's about King of the Hill. The it's all, all the episodes are about the first season. Both Chris and Joe are on that. And then uh, lastly, I have a wrestling podcast here on the network that just had a new episode come out where me and Cameron talk about the Beyond the Mat documentary, which is a, a really classic. good documentary on Netflix a that classic. people should watch. He's got a puke. It's the best. <laughs> Every time, like I jump into like an Xbox Live party or something with Cam, we just for like five minutes, like he's gonna, he's gonna puke. Yeah, it's that great. movie I would say are it probably rules even for non wrestling fans because it's just a wild look into all of that. It's uh, this is this is something I think Chris can uh, agree with on me. It's like more harrowing to watch now, specifically when they show the the stuff of the Rock smashing a chair over. 
mankind's head unprotected intercut with his kids crying. Yeah, like 40 times. It's, yeah, it's a lot. Like, that was scarier, those scary 20 years ago, but telling what we know know, now about unprotected chair shots. Does it, does it cut to it, or is it, like, transposed overlaying it like a David Lynch film? Uh, It cuts to it. I wish it was transposed overlaying it. But, Asker, I think the next one we're gonna, next thing we're gonna do is talk about The Wrestler, whenever we get around to watching that. Yeah, I've seen a. I saw a video of Darren Aronofsky diving off of a out of a wrestling <laughs> ring. His shitty dive is so <laughs> good. Have you seen it, Dory? That sounds incredible. He, he's Girl, really bad at it. <laughs> Thank you. Because <laughs> they filmed that at like real Ring of Honor stuff, so that's even yeah. They, well, they shot at the Hammerstein Ballroom where they had ECW One Night Stand, where ROH used to run. I've seen a DVD oh, of Cody yeah. and Cambria play there. Is that was that shot by his usual guy? I don't remember his name. I just remember no, the guy that shot Requiem for a Dream also shot Josie and the Pussycats. <laughs> and you can definitely tell when you watch Josie and the Pussycats. Oh, now I need to watch Josie and the Pussycats. Perfect film! I, I would love to talk with y'all forever. We can do that, but we should maybe finish the episode <laughs> first. Chris, where can people find you on the internet if they so desire? You can find me at Topher Disgrace, where my tweets are honestly just getting worse. <laughs> You can find all the podcasts that I do and all the podcasts I've ever guested on on my website in my uh, in my bio. I made a video game. It's on my pinned tweet about about the wrestling. And Joe and I did a podcast together recently about yeah. the Wonder Years album, The Greatest Generation. That's on a podcast called Musicology. And when does this episode come out that we're currently recording? Next Thursday. Okay, cool. When you're hearing this, uh, search for Musicology, and then you can hear Joe and I, among other friends, talk about uh, the Wonder Years album. It's cool. I could have gone for another two hours, y'all. Right. Nice. Love that record. Uh, Chris was also on another podcast of mine recently. Uh, the episode will be uh, a week old by the time that uh, this is out. Uh, but Chris was on Sugar We're Going Down podcasting, uh, talking about the Fall Out Boy song Grenade Jumper for obvious are, reasons. Are we talking about that because that's on Backyard Wrestling 2? Is it? Oh, the game? It is in Backyard Wrestling 2, the game. <laughs> the fucking Juggalo Andrew WK game. Holy shit. <laughs> we, we talk about how it sounds like a Backyard song, but Chris had never seen it in a video. That's very that, funny. That means that, means that <laughs> Fall Out Boy and Sabu shared space. God. <laughs> yes. Hell yeah. But yeah, you can find me on social media, Ghost of Joe, Ghost of J-O. Make a bunch of podcasts. You can find them all on the same network as this one. TheOrangeGroves.com is the website for the network. Uh, go support patreon.com slash the orange groves where you can uh, hear cut audio from shows um at the two dollar level you can tweet about the show also with hashtag nervous rex pod you can join the orange groves discord server to chat about uh gunbuster or other episodes of the podcast or other podcasts on the network um you can find a link to that in the show notes it's also on the website which is again theorangegroves.com. i don't know there's no like funny quote from this show to end with the way that we did before. Uh, I, I'm totally at a loss. I don't know. Fuck it. We'll see you in 15,000 years. <laughs> yeah, 12,000 years will pass between this episode and the next one. And then we'll open the next one if we're really smart with Welcome Back. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll write that down and remember it. Thank you for listening, everybody. We'll see you next time. And when we aim for the top two. <laughs> right on, right on, right on.